Welcome to Talking Supply Chain. In each episode, you'll hear from the authors that make Supply Chain Management Review such a special publication. This podcast is hosted by Bob Troublecock, Editorial Director of Supply Chain Management Review. Remember that Bob welcomes your comments now to today's episode. Well, hello and welcome to a special episode of Talking Supply Chain. This week, we're taking the podcast on the road to San Antonio, location of MHI's annual conference. Joining me today is Noelle Russell. I got that right, correct? You did. All right, very good. <laughs> Noelle is the founder and principal architect of the AI Leadership Institute and an AI executive at IBM. She's also going to be a featured speaker at this week's event. Noelle, welcome. Thank you so much. Excited to be here. Well, I'm excited to have you. As you and I were just talking before we did this, there's a lot of big topics here. We're going to be challenged to cover it all, uh, but we're going to do our best. So my, my listeners aren't going to be familiar with you. I was reading your bio and also in reading the abstract for your presentation of the conference. It appears you're wearing two very important hats. One, as a technologist, you're going to speak about the metaverse here in San Antonio. And then also as a champion of diversity and inclusion with your work teaching women and people of color how to use the power of technology and influence to achieve success in business and in life. Now, it's a lot to cover in a short time, but let's give it a shot. First, just tell me a little bit about your role at IBM. And then second, just what is the AI Leadership Institute? Folks can't see, but you're wearing your sweatshirt. That's right. So, I'm branded. You got your colors on. Right. That's yeah, right. Um, yeah. So I think the most important work right now is in the area of literacy and some call it technical evangelism, right? Okay. Getting the word out of, and, and selling the, the dream of artificial intelligence, the dream of the metaverse. Um, and what that means is that a lot of people don't truly understand the impact of these technologies, nor even what they're capable of. And I have been, I'll say for the last 20 years, known to speak about three generations ahead of where I am. And so I'm always kind of painting the picture. And maybe that comes from my daddy uh, raised me on the golden age of science fiction. So yeah. I've always been thinking about talking to computers for decades before we could actually talk to them. Um, but the AI Leadership Institute was actually born out of my uh, introduction to artificial intelligence. I was an early member of the Amazon Alexa team, employee okay. 10, actually. Uh, and I built over 100 applications for Amazon Alexa. I have now 2 million users of these skills. And before that, no one really understood AI. And I had to go down this journey of teaching people what is AI, how, how is it meaningful, and most importantly, what makes good AI. And now I'm going down that exact same path with Web3 and the metaverse. Can you, um, I, I just want to back you up for a second because you mentioned um, Amazon and the AI team and being yes. employee number 10. So just what's your background? How, do you, how does a person become who you are. Yeah. So interesting. I said yes. So that's the biggest thing. I, I mentor lots of people. Yeah, but I can um, say yes and nobody would yeah. care. So. <laughs> well, you do have to be in the right place at the right time. There we time. go. Right. So and, I, and the right background. Yes. Well, no. So I actually have zero education in this space. I'm not oh. classically trained whatsoever. It's one of okay. the reasons why right. I'm such a good proponent of this. The way I learned artificial intelligence was what I call learning by doing. I went into GitHub, which is a repository of code, found, I use it kind of like artists use tracing paper. Okay. I went in and I, I was, I am a software engineer. I was, I 
I taught myself software engineering in Y2K, okay. if you remember, you I know, the first time the world was going to end. <laughs> I am old enough. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but that's how I taught myself. You know, I went to Barnes & Noble, taught myself. It was, it was just like it is now where we needed so many people and there weren't enough people to do the work. Right. Back then it was learning how to code. Today it's learning about data. Um, but yes, I, I have no classical training in this area. However, I have a huge desire to create technology that helps people. I have a son with Down syndrome. I have a dad with cognitive brain issues. Um, and both drove me to not just say yes, but actually accelerate my experience on the Alexa platform, which then led me to Microsoft and about 17 other AI models. Great. So uh, when you said you're not classically trained, so I have a joke. You know, I've been around this industry for like way too many years. Yeah. Care. And people assume I know a lot about this stuff, but my, you know, my catch-all was always, I was an English major, not an engineer. I don't do math. You know, I've made a career out of knowing, a, I don't have to know anything. I just have to know a guy. Yeah, that knows something, right? exactly. So exactly. When, when you, when you talked about um, not having the classical education, that is, you know, that is my life. So when I was putting this together, I also happened to be just kind of like surfing actually the New York Times. And there was this ad from Meta that yes. came up. I guess we all used to know them as Facebook uh, that read the metaverse may be virtual, but the impact will be real. And I do think the two emerging technology that are most mysterious to supply chain professionals are AI. That's hard enough to get your hands around. <laughs> and then the metaverse. So they're in your job title. And the second part of what you're going to talk about this week What's the metaverse? Yes, I I like the term. I it's unfortunate that it's now been heavily commercialized because a company has claimed the word meta as Correct. their company. Right. But prior to that, meta, as in lots of really good words like metaphysics, right, just means beyond, right? Beyond. In this okay. case, the metaverse, it's beyond the world that we understand in technology. And so for most of us who've been doing this a while, that's like virtual reality, augmented reality. Okay. Um, during my time at Microsoft, I was um, very influenced by the HoloLens project, which was this very expensive and hardly accessible to anyone, but a really cool project where you put a halo lens on top of your head and it augmented or basically put a filter over the world. And in supply chain, it would let you cognitively rehearse or get hands-on training while on the job, but nobody was really there. They were just overlaid on top of the world that you were seeing. Right. So this digital, the concept of a metaverse really is just thinking everything in the physical world, but in a digital context. And the power of having that digital context, I think, is extremely you know, interesting in the supply chain world. So if we're um, a couple of years ago at I think it was ProMatter or Modex. By the way, uh, listeners, if you hear stuff in the background, Noelle and I are sitting on a patio outside of the hotel. It was very quiet when we sat down. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, people are pounding things and yelling. So please be with us. Um, I was at uh, one of the ProMatter Modex, one of the big trade events that um, MHI puts on. And one of the automation people had a VR, either VR or AR glasses you know, at their booth. And it was the idea was to like virtually pick, yes. right? Using those glasses. And then when you went to the um, one of the lift truck booths, um, they had a, a, a VR for training, like yes. learning how yes. to operate the lift truck. So, 
are those, you know, VR slash AR or are they meta? Because it goes beyond. That's right. So the metaverse indicates an environment where you can create a virtual experience. So augmented reality is often kind of lumped into the metaverse. But when you think about the metaverse, you're thinking about a fully immersive environment. So this is like a VR headset that goes over your eyes and you can't see anything. So today, like Meta has created the Oculus, which is a fully immersive VR headset. However, it allows for full cognitive rehearsal of any of these like workplace trainings that we're talking about. It's a great example where we can do something that seems incredibly real to our brain, but isn't actually real. But then on the job, actually see documented research-based proficiencies occur because of that rehearsal that was done. So the metaverse is all of those things. It's going to be soon very similar to cloud, right? Like everything's in the cloud. So using that term doesn't really mean much. And the metaverse will soon become one of those umbrella terms that right. we So you know. when, when you think of applications, let's start at sort of basic. Sure. Um, you know, one that people have talked about in terms of just using like heads up displays. Yes. And I mean, this is like 10 years ago or so. I used to write for Aviation Week and the Israeli Air Force had developed these special glasses. They were probably some version of Google Glass. Yes. These special glasses so that if somebody was going to do a repair job um, on a jet engine that they hadn't done before. Yes. They could, a trainer or somebody yes, remotely. could pop up. Could, yeah, exactly. Yes. And think, you know, um, schematics could pop up and things like that. Yes. Um, is that kind of a baseline application or an, er, you know, an early application? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even today mm-hmm. I see us creating the same type of experience, but instead of like back then it was pre-recorded content that you would basically be calling upon like a training manual okay. or use it like almost like an index or voice enabled search mechanism, like mm-hmm. pull up this document, pull up this manual. Today you can now, because of the advancements in technology and in internet bandwidth and in processor speed of these devices, I can now actually have a real-time conversation with someone. So you can call someone who has done this. You know, NASA uses the same technology. Call someone who has done this 100,000 times um, in a lab. You are now in space flight. Wouldn't it be interesting if I could just say, okay, guide me through this. Right. And it's a real-time conversation and as opposed to me pulling up, you know, it'd be equivalent to me looking it up in the dictionary versus having someone explain to me contextually what to do. Might we also... Um... Uh, somebody sent me a link to a to a video. Uh, it was a, a company that had just redone their warehouse with a lot of automation. They sent me a link, and they said this is actually a VR version. If you want us to send you a headset, you know, so you can yes. watch it. In that context, either now or is it coming to where I could put that on? And I could like virtually walk through the warehouse. Absolutely. Um, as a matter of fact, the the purest form of the metaverse for a supply chain or a manufacturer or even any retailer mm-hmm. would be to be able to create a fully digitized version of okay. their real environment. Okay. Um, I think okay. the biggest challenge to that, for example, we're starting to see a lot of brands like Walmart recently. Like they decided to go heavily into the metaverse, but they're actually not. I mean, they're not at least publicly digitizing their manufacturing facilities or distribution facilities. They're going after kids and creating a, it's called the universe of play. And now you as a child can go in and you can buy literally with Robux, you can (laughs) buy a Razor scooter. You can buy all the things that you would buy in real life. You can now buy in the metaverse and it's creating this extremely strong brand recognition 
for these kids who will eventually, of course, become they consumers. Ride the yes. But if they fall, they don't get it. No. Right. They don't even have to wear a helmet. Like, this is the world we live in. As a mom, it makes me a bit nervous. So the, so the other thing, you and I were talking before we got on, is... Um, you know, I've done an interview with Accenture, and as you know, they're they're doing a they're doing a lot internally in terms of training uh, that they were driven to in terms of COVID. But they're now talking their their sort of vision for the supply chain is the digital twin concept. And we have some people creating digital twins now to do like what its scenarios. Mm-hmm. But they envision like five steps to ultimately where you might be able to create a digital twin of your suppliers, Absolutely. their processes, your processes, your customers' processes, and, you know, go in and fix some things. So if, if you think of, you know, if we get beyond the basics of like maintenance and things like that, mm-hmm. what are the applications that excite you for supply chain? I think the biggest thing, it actually relates to AI. We now have the ability to synthesize data. So in the past, we would actually wait to have the right type of data cleaned in the right way in order to create this simulation. Mm -hmm. Now we don't have to do that. Now we can actually tell a system what we want and it can craft a end-to-end production line. Mm -hmm. So we don't need all the pieces that we used to think we need, right? right? Now artificial intelligence can fill the gaps and it can create a real-time, a metaverse, a real-time virtual experience where every player, every stakeholder can be in this metaverse experience and they can use their voice to change the supply chain, right? Um, somebody, for example, in one part of the supply chain might be able to envision a challenge that other people, you know, other stakeholders wouldn't be able to think about. Mm-hmm. It actually leads to probably what we're going to talk about, the concept and the importance of inclusive engineering teams, right? And having these extremely diverse perspectives in these digital twin worlds, because they're the ones who are going to say, well, what happens if there's a hurricane? right? Because I'm from Florida. We just went through Hurricane Ian, right? So it's interesting to me that there are conversations that are had and hurricanes are never even brought up, right? right? Or, um, you know, in airlines, when there's a huge disaster, um, a weather disaster, that they've never simulated that end-to-end experience from a customer's perspective. What happens when you're on hold for three hours and the system isn't robust enough to sustain it and you get hung up on, right? Like, they can now we can simulate all of that in real time and create ways for a team, a inclusive, a symphony of talent to sit together and then be able to build the solutions to solve for those problems. So that's a great segue to uh, to the last couple of questions, which is going to be part of what you talked about as well. For yes. one, uh, did you create the? AI? I did. Okay. Yes. I, I thought so, but yes. I, just, Thank I, wanted, you for asking. I, I wanted to be sure. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So what is it? How did it come about and why? Yeah, so I was in my second year at Amazon Alexa, and my job was to advocate for voice technology everywhere. Jeff Bezos had sat a few of us down and said, voice everywhere, voice only, voice first. Like that was our mission was to make Alexa a household name. And we did a good job. Like I think people know what it is now. Um, But in doing that, when I would go into C-level executives um, and do executive briefings, most people, not only did they not understand the power of natural language and voice, right. they really didn't understand AI at all, nor the business implications of using it or the importance of kind of some fundamental principles that you need to get right to build AI correctly. I'm still kind of battling that fight right now. Sure. So uh, I started AI Leadership Institute and that was its only job. I actually was commissioned by Amazon, by Microsoft, um, by Facebook, 
they all granted money to this organization to just build training really for the executive team. And so we, I call it from the boardroom to the whiteboard, to the keyboard. So we have boardroom education, senior technical leadership education, and then we do hackathons for developers. Great. Yeah. Um, you, since you're Alexa, you've seen the Saturday Night Live. Yes, of course. Right. So, and given <laughs> they are my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately, given my age, yeah, I'm overread. Yeah, and and I have I'm I'm like the next youngest of four kids. My oldest brother is 75, and he could that commercial is not a spoof when you're talking about right. Older That's so. right. My dad as well. My dad as well. <laughs> my my older brother gets in his car and he won't connect his phone to the car. <laughs> Because they don't like the car having that much control yeah. over that thing. <laughs> the phone, like, yeah. Rick, just you're you're gonna kill yourself, you know. You're China, yeah. Right, exactly. So, um, as part of that, you, you mentioned building diverse teams, and you know, part of the thing is is teaching both women and people of color, and I'm guessing women of color, yes. how to use the power of technology and influence. So, explain what you mean by that. Yeah, so one of the things, um, we have a really strong pipeline of talent coming in. We've worked really hard as an industry to get better, diverse people into the pipeline of talent. Yes. However, once they get here, it it's a challenge to work as an underrepresented voice, right? To be, And this is true regardless of, I always say, it's not really about ethnicity, though it, of course, that's our focus, or even gender, though that is our focus. It's really about anyone who's a divergent thinker, right? Now there's books like Think fast and think slow or um, introverts and extroverts, right? Neurodiversity. So there's so many different ways that people can come to a problem. Um, But because many of these teams are homogeneous in nature, they kind of have the same type of people on them, that there's a certain way an organization will accept that divergent thought, right? There's a few advanced leaders out there who are maybe more emotionally intelligent and realize like there's power in that diverse opinion, but there's others where it's almost like an organism attacking itself, right? Where this new agent comes in and says, oh, I have stuff we can do. We can change things. And they immediately say, oh, no, 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 just sit down, be quiet. Don't, we don't rock the boat around here. Don't make our work harder. I can't tell you how many times as I was building skills for Alexa, people were like, if you could just build one or two, but a hundred, why would you build a hundred? Now we all have to build a hundred. It makes our jobs worse. Um, and so that, that, that's that a, sounds like the union. Yes, no. right? Exactly. <laughs> Why are you working so fast? That's right, huh? exactly. And it's very much that way, though, I think, in these homogeneous groups of people where everyone, like, it's almost like a, almost a, a bit of a union where they're all, let's, we all think the same way. We're all congratulating ourselves on our own brilliance. brilliance. And when someone strange and new comes in, they're like, I'm not sure about you. At Microsoft, I found they celebrated that at Amazon. They celebrate those differences. It's part of their leadership principles. But as you go into the organizations that are a little bit older, that have you know longer tenure in the right. organizations, um, that have people who've been there 20, 30 years, right. they're, they're not as much interested. <laughs> and I think that distracts just, people. This is going to be a little bit off and we'll come back. Sure. But, um, I was at the Association for Supply Chain Management. Uh, and so they're the largest membership organization for supply chain professionals. And um, along with this one, I'll give a shout out. I do a podcast um, uh, twice a month with their CEO. And we did a live from their event podcast. We had three people. It was really a panel discussion, but we did as a podcast. And one of them was for many years an Amazon person. And now he's the chief technology officer um, at a company called Flex, which is essentially a digital 
warehouse. They're an on-demand warehousing company. And we were, um, Abe Ashkenazi, CEO of ASCM, talent and diversity and inclusion and the other things that fall under ESG are really part of his DNA. And so we were asking them about, you know, talent. And one of the things, uh, I forget his name now, uh, but he said was, he said, you know, I've been in technology my whole career. I've got a PhD in physics. Yeah. And he said, you know, the reality is it's a bro culture. Yeah. And he said, and we try to change it. He said, we really do. And he said, and he said, for instance, we've had a real push to bring more women into the organization. Um, but it almost sounded like the finance guys who will say, we made a push to bring women into the organization, but then they get married and they have kids and they leave and then they come back and he goes, and what happens is they leave and all of a sudden you're looking around and it's a bunch of bros yeah, guess, sitting around yeah. the table. <laughs> I, I, do you find, you know, this was him talking about his own personal experience. Of course. Do you find from your, you know, your experience in this, that, um, if you go back to Y2K, you've been doing this yes. a little bit of time. Yeah. Um, you know, is that a fair assessment of where I realize that things are changing. You know, you go to this conference, you're going to see more women and people of color than ever when, you know, yes, came to the exactly. Yes. But when you're, when you're talking about technology and you're talking about really emerging technologies like AI and, and meta and VR and AR, is that still the case? Yeah. I think one of the challenges is that that is certainly still the perception. And okay. so when a woman comes into the org, I'm an executive at IBM and I still battle the perception that I'm not permanent, that I could leave at any time, mm -hmm. right? So there's certain accounts that the account leader won't let me into. Oh. And and not ex not like overtly, not Noel, no, you can't play here. Just subtly that as a woman, I recognize because I've been doing this a long time. I'm like, I see what you're doing and I understand, you know, it's right. almost like who hurt you. I understand that you were left by someone. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I'll work with you and build trust. But when you as a woman come in over and over again, and you're constantly faced with this perception of you will probably go and have a kid and you might come back or you might not. Um, or worse, you're going to call in because you have to take care of your child who is sick or you have to take care of your parent who is aging, right? It's interesting that there's a per perception that women are less valuable to an organization because of those things. Mm -hmm. And of course, in my experience, A, of course, women have, it's now very well documented, research backed that women bring a different level of value to an organization. Many, yes. many women run organizations or women in executive leadership. Are, it's now proven that we generate more revenue. We create longer tenure in employees. We create higher levels of productivity. Like there's a lot of good stuff. But when you're as a woman or as any underrepresented person, that's why people of color suffer the same kind of situation where you walk in and you, you already know people are like, oh, like <laughs> you're not going to be here. You're not going to be as smart or as ambitious or as, you know, you have other priorities um, or you're going to be the one who always talks about inclusion, right? You're, you're pegged that in their mind long before they ever say it out loud, but it impacts the work you get to do in those organizations. And now with younger people, especially Gen Z, they're almost washing their hands of it. They'll come in, they'll get a bad experience and they'll be like, yeah, I don't need to do this. And they'll leave. And that is what's causing us to have, we have a bunch of people coming in, not a bunch of people staying. And that means no one rising up in leadership. I mean, less than 1% of technology leaders, executives are Hispanic and 
and less than that are women. <laughs> like yeah. it's, it's, it's pretty dismal. Do you find, so I have a 32 year old daughter, right? And what's been interesting to me, um, following Sam, I mean, even going back to high school, when, when I was in high school and I went to a, um, I, I grew up in a, you know, a, a suburb of Youngstown, Ohio, but we were a school where like almost everybody went to college. Right. right. Um, and we had very smart, very smart girls in, in uh, my class, but it was the guys who went off to become lawyers and doctors yes. and, and so on. When I looked at in, when my daughter was in high school already then, and we lived in a relatively affluent small town, a college town in New, in New England. It was the girls who were going off to you know yes. better schools and the guys who were less motivated. And I'm just wondering with, and you know, now in like dental school, for instance, right. um, you know, more than half of the students are women. Uh, and I think in a lot of, uh, a lot of the sciences, today, you know, it, it's, it, it's more than 50% women. It yes. may not be 80% women. So are you finding with the young people coming into technology, we're seeing more representation of women entering the field? Than yeah, I, I wish we were. I think okay. um, the challenge is, is that it's like data science, um, machine learning, these specific fields are much they're a different of course but they're also very predominantly like academia focused which right. is still a very male dominated field in and of itself right. right where um one thing i did notice like at amazon alexa we had an entire team of linguists and they were working hard to hire men right that was their goal right. <laughs> so they were trying really hard to make sure that like we had 70 percent we had 70 percent uh women on the team and that was the first time in my technical career that that had been true, right? Where the, wow. they over outnumbered and we were actually trying to diversify in the opposite direction. But in data science, I don't see that. Um, I was just at a data science conference and 90% of the attendees were men. And we had a whole women in data science like panel and I felt uncomfortable. I'm and like, they were like the, yeah, yeah. The, also the They're, entire attendees. Yes, were, exactly. Were. I was like, so you over there. And, and, but I had so many men come up to me and say, they don't actually want to be they don't want to be the majority, right? They're hungry to have diverse perspectives mm -hmm. that we now recognize when we look around and everyone at the table is nodding along with us, something's not right, especially in data science. We want dissension, right? We want people to be like, have you thought about the child who's going to be named after that device? Have you thought about, you know, um, you know how, how this device will impact people of color? Have you thought about how it'll impact elderly people? Unless you have someone who cares about those specific things, the product won't move in that direction. And I think all of us as data scientists understand that. What's the barrier to bringing um, women? I'm, I keep making the distinction between women and people of color. And obviously my attendees can't see you, but you're yes. a woman of color. Yes, so, right. I, I combine so, the both. That's right. I check the boxes. <laughs> so what is the hurt? You know, technology has done so much in terms of advancing many of our lives, but I think it's also been a division. I mean, it, it, there's a wealth factor between, sure. um, you know, access to technology if you're from affluent versus, Absolutely. Um, you know, less affluent or poor neighborhoods. So, you know, has technology been a divider and how do we get over that hurdle? Yes, it's something that I work really hard on. It's actually part of 
my work at AI Leadership Institute is to go and talk to high school kids in not necessarily impoverished, like I'm not in the inner city, mm -hmm. just like in Miami, Florida, where I grew up, mm -hmm. where unlike where you went to school or where your kids went to school, where everyone is most likely to go to college, there the few go to college. Almost right. everyone else is vocational, blue collar, um, as they say, right? I don't know right. if that's dating me as a term as well, but that concept though, like these, when I go and I show them in Oculus or a metaverse or show them how they can with no code build an Alexa skill, they've never seen anything like that. They didn't right. even know it was an option. And I'm one person. There aren't a sea of me going into these schools, right? right? Like it's an anomaly right now. And that especially creates a huge gap, right? The haves and the have nots. I do believe that that's true. Like I did not come from a family. I came from a middle-class family. Mm -hmm. Um, and my parents did go to college, but I don't think they went to college right out of high school. I think they went to like a community college and earlier, right? right? So it was just a different path. But in all those cases, the only reason I was an anomaly in my community, at, like in high school right. of going to, like I went to Embry-Riddle. So I appreciate your fascination with aviation. aviation. Yeah. Sure. yeah. Um, I went to Embry-Riddle, but I did that. I was, everyone was like, oh my gosh, she's, she's going to Embry-Riddle. That's crazy. Um, and I was a woman doing that work. Um, and I think, I think also part of it, the way we fix it is a literacy at a young age. I mean, now I go into fourth grade rooms and I show them Alexa, show them the Oculus, show them how to build a Roblox environment that they themselves created with no code at all. Today, we're in a world where you don't have to learn a programming language to build a technical solution. What you have to do is have empathy for the problem and enough technical skills to build a POC. Like that's what funded companies are all about, right? right? Especially now. Um, and there's just not enough people letting the people with the problem know that technology solutions are available to them. They could build. That's what I'll be talking about today. It's what I talk about almost every time I take a stage is how if you see a problem in your daily job, you today could go and find technology to solve for it. Do we call that citizen programming? Yeah, citizen programming, citizen data scientist, or in my world, it's called apply to AI, um, where you're taking existing AI models and applying them. You do have to learn a little bit of code in some cases, but most people can learn code for free online in a couple of days. I mean, there's a program called um, freecodecamp.org that I always reference, right? And you can go on, there's people doing 100 days of code on Twitter, and all they're doing is, like I did, going. they're not going to Barnes & Noble, maybe that's olden days, sure. but they're getting online and every day they're doing a little bit of coding and every day they get a little bit better and then they can get a job where they make six figures, which is unheard of to an underrepresented group coming from a slightly less affluent community. So I think a lot of it is about literacy and awareness that these are opportunities you can take. I just saw someone post on Twitter today, how does the world not know that you could take, spend $20 on a course and get a hundred thousand dollar job? Like, why doesn't every young person know that that's a possibility for them? Because if they knew, they would do it, <laughs> right? Why would they go work at McDonald's if they knew they could code at home right. and build solutions, not only that help people, but also that pay well? So last question, part of part of the, um, part of the bio and I think part of your uh, discussion, and you may have been talking about that now, is how technology can be used responsibly to build yes. inclusive communities. What do you mean by that? And then what are you advising? I guess that covers, what are you advising companies? What are you advising, uh, you know, underrepresented communities? How do, how do we Yes. Do so I think part, it's two parts, right? Or maybe three. Um, the first part is companies have to create a culture 
that is acceptable of inclusive voices, right? So we are talking about getting a seat at the table. Many companies are good about having people with divergent thoughts at the table, but actually recognizing and respecting what they say is a whole nother ball game, right? It's kind of a, a different level. Um, and so oftentimes I see we get into a room and we have a conversation and diverse perspectives will raise their hand and say, oh, we thought about this thing. I mean, I was one of them. I was on Alexa. Jeff Bezos said, we're building a kitchen device for the 1% of the 1% and it's going to be amazing. It's going to be the Star Trek computer for rich people. And I was like, that's awesome. And then I had a son and I was like, have we thought about it for the classroom? And everyone was like, no, it's a kitchen device. Like stay focused on the goal. And of course I didn't because that that was my diverse perspective pulling me to grow. And now today, seven years later, Amazon has a classroom focus. It has a, you know, like my dad, they have an aging focus. Right. But without someone raising their hand and saying that, right, that, that's difficult to do. So I now have these principles that we've learned over time. One of them is building these inclusive engineering teams. Um, but IBM, Microsoft, um, there's actually an organization called Partnerships on AI. There's these tenants of responsible AI development that now translate to the metaverse as well. Really, I'd call it Web3, right? Metaverse is part of a big collection of technologies that are changing the world. Um, and those principles you, make sense once you hear them, but you'd be I'm always surprised how few companies actually implement them. And one of them is transparency, building technology that people understand. Um, with AI, oftentimes I'll go into companies and they'll have like banners that say AI powered or AI enabled or AI infused. And as a technologist that knows what AI is, I'm like, well, what does that mean? Whose data is that? Right. And how'd you train that? Um, but most people are like, well, that sounds cool. <laughs> <laughs> right. But having transparency in what you're selling and what you're offering, um, but then also having explainability so that if I, as I mean, there was a, I, I have a Google alert that says AI gone wrong. It's a Every morning I get AI challenges like that production companies have uh, faced. And one of them recently was a finance company that released an AI that did credit valuations. Mm -hmm. And they found, unfortunately, though, that they were discriminating against women and giving men more credit than women, regardless of their income or credit score or credit value, right? Their credit profile. Because they're not going to leave the workforce. That's right. Right. Because they're unreliable. Right. So only give them 10 grand. Give the guy. They're not going to be around. That's right. To see it like seeps into everything. Um, but that concept, right? I want to know as a developer, as a CEO, I want to know if I use AI, how did you come to that decision? We call it data lineage. We want to know the lineage of every decision AI makes. It's kind of how we avoid, I used to always have a shirt that had Skynet with a line through it. Like, how do we avoid creating something that'll kill us all, right? Like, one of the ways we do that is by creating AI that we can understand and explain. Um, another uh, principle is fairness. Like, let's just build stuff that's fair for people. But fairness is often a reflection of how diverse your team is when building that software. And so I think those three things are the, there's lots of them. There's, I think, eight tenets of responsible development. But those three are the ones that I focus on, A, because if you understand what you're using, you can be a better advocate for fairness um, and understanding the lineage of data. Right now, we're so into business intelligence and reporting and getting right. pretty dashboards. But I always think to myself, you know, there's these reports that say chocolate is amazing for you. And they read the fine print sponsored by a chocolate manufacturer, <laughs> right? Like, 
who's making that data? Where did it come from? Where did those, you know, that's our job. I don't ever want to read that. That's right. right. I just want to see <laughs> that's the, right. That's right. the headline is all I Most of us, yeah, right. we're like, what's that fine print? Right. Don't look, don't look. Um, right. Right. But that is, is good for you. That's right, exactly, Excellent. exactly. Yeah. And eggs and milk, all the yeah, things. Right. Exactly. And then somebody else, say, you know, I always say, we're one acquisition away from the Death Star, right? So anything <laughs> could change hands. And and now if you if you don't have those principles in place, it might be used to harm when you had all intentions for good. Um, and so I think these are good guardrails for any company to start off with. Well, great. Well, thank you. So, Noel, that's all the time we have today. Uh, special thanks to Noel Russell. I got it right the second yes, time for joining you. us. And thank you for listening. I hope you'll be back for our next episode for Supply Chain Management Review, Talking Supply Chain. I'm Bob Triplecock. Thank you again for joining us. Yes, it's been amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Talking Supply Chain is produced by Supply Chain Management Review and Peerless Media. You can find it on scmr.com, on iTunes, or under SC247, or just Google SC247 Podcasts. For more information, be sure to visit scmr.com. We hope you'll join us again.